5. So look at the life of Jacob. Over the upcoming weeks, um, next week, uh, Marine Corps Chaplain Keith Leitner will be here. He'll be sharing about uh, his ministry as a chaplain in the Marine Corps, but in particular preaching on what does it mean to be a witness for Christ when you have superiors who don't want you to be a witness for Christ. Uh, He'll be focusing on that next week. And uh, after that, we'll be getting reports from our mission teams to Guatemala and to New York City. And then this fall, I will be doing a series just of so many things related to church and the news and broader media right now, a series on what does the Bible say about fill-in-the-blank. And so if you've ever had a, I wonder what the Bible says about blank, um, please email the church office and let them know. I've got a couple openings that I'm still sorting through as to where exactly to go towards the end of that. So if you have any of those, please um, email the office and help us out. Here in Genesis chapter 35, we are wrapping up the life of Jacob as we've been journeying through this this summer. Last week, we were looking at the passage of God wrestling with Jacob. After that encounter, what happened is that much to Jacob's surprise, he had a joyful reunion with his brother Esau. The two of them met, had a good reunion. They both each went their separate way. Jacob's daughter Dinah was raped in the town that they were passing through. And then two of his sons, in revenge, went through and slaughtered the entire place. Jacob was concerned that um, the local inhabitants wouldn't like this and would create war against them. Subsequently, what's happened is that there actually was peace. And so it's been approximately 10 years since God wrestled with Jacob. And during that time, Jacob has been living in the land of promise. And that's where we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 35. Follow along with me as I read. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So so they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem, and as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under the oak below Bethel. So he called his name Alan Bakuth, and God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padam Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring and after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured oil out as a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Let us pray for God's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would help us to understand this story. We pray that you would help us to understand your story 
and the story that you are weaving in the individual stories of our lives and how they fit together and how our stories are found in yours. Lord, bless this time for the honor of your name. Amen. It was shortly after the beginning of the Iraq War in 2003 that Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld was in a news conference and reporters were asking him questions. And a reporter asked him the question, they said, Mr. Rumsfeld, why is it that you have failed to follow the war plan? To which Rumsfeld responded, I do not believe that you have the war plan. Next question. Each of us awakens to another day in the story of our lives. We awaken to another day that shapes us, that forms us. Another day that is added on to the story of our lives and each day affects the next and affects, and affects how we understand the next day. And increasingly, as we go through life, what happens, and the older that you get, the more that it, the more that it occurs, is that you interpret the world and you interpret the things that are going on through the world is that you interpret the story of the world through the lens of your own individual story. And Scripture here challenges that picture of how is it that we view our stories. And not only that, how is it do we view the story of the world? Are our, are our independent stories just that? Are they just simply independent stories that are independent of each other, kind of like brownie in motion in a bowl of Cheerios, each spinning their own little way, doing their own little thing? Are each of our stories just that? But what about some of us whose stories in our lives have been, are, I mean, are messed up? I mean, really messed up. Or those of us who had a, a, the story of our life that we saw going forward in the way that we expected it to go, and, and life has not gone according to your plan at all. Well, here what Jacob shows us is that in order to understand our stories, we need to accept that our stories, our individual stories, are caught up and bound inside of God's story. And indeed, even for us to make sense of our own story in our own lives, we need to accept God's story and how our story is a part of his story. You may be one who is asking, as you look through the things in your life, why is, why is my story like this? Why did I have the upbringing that I had? Why do I have the challenges in my life? Why do I have the tragedies that I'm going through right now? God, what are you doing? Couldn't there have been a different way? And we don't have the war plan. But what God does do, he gives us the framework for our lives. He gives us the, the, the framework of the story that he is working throughout all of history in which our individual lives fit. We see this expressly here in the life of Jacob. Jacob has been living out his own story in his own way. Jacob has only seen and could only see the world through his own story. But finally here, he accepts God's story and sees his life in light of that. Well, in order for us to accept God's story for our lives, the first thing that needs to happen is we need to accept God's story for our past. Verse 1, God gives this command to Jacob. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and, altar, and make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. It's remarkable that this is the reminder that he gives Jacob. Because it was at this same place that Jacob spent the night, and he had a dream. 
that there is this ladder extending between heaven and earth and angels ascending and descending. And it was the night that God first appeared to Jacob and God spoke to him from on top of the ladder and he spoke to Jacob. But that's not how God calls Jacob to remember that night. He says, Jacob, go to Bethel and go to that place when God appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. You see, God is getting Jacob to remember his past and to accept his past, and to remember his painful past, and even the night that he was fleeing his brother Esau, his deceitful past, because Jacob was going out in exile because he had just stolen his brother's, he had had swindled his brother's birthright and stolen his brother's blessing, and his brother said that he was going to kill him. And so Jacob is forced here to remember his deceitful past, his self-reliance, to remember the past shame, the past hurt, the past guilt, the past pain. And like a scab that is getting ripped off and a wound, God does so and says that night that you were fleeing your brother Esau. But why does God do it? It's not to bring about humiliation in Jacob, but so that Jacob would remember God's work in his past, that he would remember how his story has fit into God's story. Because it was on this night at this place in Bethel when Jacob was fleeing his brother Esau as a deceiver and as a usurper, it was on that night that God gave Jacob this dream and God stood on top of this ladder, having God, having made a way for sinful man to be in the presence of God. And God says to Jacob, I am the Lord. The God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. I am the God who has existed, who is the God of the past and also the God of the present and the future. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you. And will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to do. And in the intervening 30 years from God's promise to Jacob, God has demonstrated his faithfulness again and again. Indeed, God has never, never left him and has never forsaken him. Not only that, but as Jacob looks back on his life, probably about 100 years old at this point, is that he refers to God this way. He wants to go to make an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. It's a remarkable statement from Jacob because up to this point in his life or in his life, Jacob thought that Jacob was with him wherever he'd gone, that, that, that life was lived on his own terms, that, that the Jacob story was what Jacob wrote his story. And finally now, he looks through his past. He looks through all of the the swindling and the challenges that he has done. And he looks through his past and he says, God has been with me wherever I have gone. And God's faithfulness and his blessing has abounded. He's done what he has said. He has made Jacob prosperous. He's given him servants. He's given him 12 children. He's given him protection in very challenging and threatening situations. But what's even more remarkable is the way that God did so, because God blessed Jacob in these ways according to his promise, not through some sort of miraculous blessing, but through turning around the messed up things in Jacob's life and Jacob's past. For it was when Jacob was fleeing his brother Esau that Jacob gets married. It was through Jacob being swindled by his uncle Laban that Jacob now was blessed with 12 children. 
It is through his uncle Laban cheating him and deceiving him out of his livestock that Jacob actually got more livestock and more wealth. It has been through the painful and, yes, the sinful and many times the completely out-of-control things in Jacob's past that he looks back and can now see that God has woven all of these things into his story. That Jacob's story was bound in God's story. And finally, he is beginning to accept that with all of the ups and downs, the twists and turns, that his story is bound in God's story for his life. How amazing. When you look at Jacob, how amazing that God can and often does use anything in our lives to bless us. Yes, he uses good things and positive things and positive influences, but isn't it amazing that so often God uses the painful things and the difficult things and the times that we have wandered away from him and gone our own course, that God uses all of these things to bless us. You know, it's, remaining, it's, a, it's a hard truth for us to accept. But look at Jacob. I mean, how many of you would want Jacob to be a role model for your kids? I wouldn't want the guy around my kids. I mean, there is nothing commendable or positive about this guy at all throughout his entire life, except right now. And the only other instance was when he was completely broken, having had his hips dislocated, being a broken man, laying, clinging to God. That's it. And here is this most undeserving person who God weaves the pain, the hurt, the sin of his life, the twists and turns of his story, and he binds all these things together into this amazing plan of redemption that he's working. And he does it for you and for me too. And that begins by accepting our story and seeing it in light of God's story. For those of you here who look back through your life, and whether you're a Christian or not not a Christian, is that I bet that you can look through your life, that you can examine your own story and see mistakes that you've made, outright rebellion, sin, tragedies that have come into your life. And you can look back at those things now and say, yeah, I can see how God worked through that. I can see how God turned that into a blessing. I had a seminary classmate of mine who, when you went into their apartment, they called their refrigerator their Ebenezer, which is an Old Testament term for a monument to God's faithfulness. And on their refrigerator, they, they put snippets of events in their life where God turned things upside down, of broken things that God had healed, of things that were bad or sinful that God turned into blessings, of ways that they had answered their prayers, and the the refrigerator was covered with these moments because they knew that there were times come when they would say, God, do you care? God, are you there? God, are you at work in my story? And every time they can look at their refrigerator and see, here is a testimony to God's story in my life. Just one quick example. Another seminary couple was on their way to seminary, packed up all their belongings in the car, put their car on a trailer, was towing it behind the moving truck, heading across uh, 6440 going out to St. Louis, Going 75 miles an hour, their car becomes detached, rolls off the back of the trailer, and blows up on the highway. No joke. It blows up on the highway with all their stuff in it. True story. Right? (laughs) You got six sense of humor. (laughs) Right? Their stuff blows up. And so what happens then is that they're like, you know, what do we do? Like half our stuff is blown up, is burned up. Um, We're on the side of the road in, in the middle of nowhere. What happens? Well, they get through the immediate situation. They call the U-Haul company. And on the recorded line, the U-Haul guy says, that's right, I forgot to connect your car to the trailer. 
So what happened? They got a new car. They got new stuff. They traded in all the stuff that they bought from the thrift store to stuff that was actually quality stuff. They got a new vehicle. And there it was, an Ebenezer to God's faithfulness of kaboom, and God, and God blesses them in this way. But again and again, what was the point? Is that if you look through the course of your life, is for you, for those of you who are, who are believers, to look at your life and to say, where has God worked? And to remember these things. And that's what he's getting Jacob to do here. Jacob, accept God's story for your life. Look at your life. Look at your past. Can you not see how God has worked in all of these situations, in all these ways, to weave your story into his story and to bring blessing into your life? You know, there's some, I'm sure there's some others of you here who you look at your life and you say, nobody has given me anything. I have done this on my own accord. I grew up in an awful situation. I didn't get any handouts. Everything that I have earned, I have earned by the sweat of my brow by pulling myself up by my own bootstraps. And maybe, humanly speaking, you have. And if you ask Jacob, that would have been his thought, too. That everything he got was by him. But it's finally now that Jacob looks back at his life and says, no, it actually wasn't me. It's God who has been with me wherever I have gone. And for most of my life, I thought it was me, myself, and I, but now I can see that God has been with me wherever I have gone. If you come in here and you think that it's all about you and what you have done, just look at this and accept God's story for your past and find your story in his story. At the same time, I mentioned that I just want to be sensitive. I know that there are some of you here who are in deep pain. And you're in deep pain because there are wounds in your life right now that are too fresh. They are too raw, and the hurt is too deep to think about how on earth could this be a part of God's plan. There's some of you here, not only are you in the midst of the pain, but you are quite angry. And you're angry with God. You're saying, God, how could this happen? God, couldn't you have another plan? God, why does it have to be this way? I don't like this. It's not supposed to be like this. God, how can you do this? And you're angry at God. And I empathize with that. But let me just suggest to you that if you have a God who is big enough for you to be angry at because you don't like the course of events in your life, then necessarily, at the same time, you have a God who is big enough to work your story and your brokenness into his story. And it is only as we accept God's story for our lives can we begin to make sense of our own. It is only in doing so that we can find our own story in his story. Second key thing, we accept God's story for the past, but also accept God's story for us in the present. Notice Jacob's command to his family. He said, so Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make an altar there. Notice what Jacob says to his family. He says, put away all of your foreign gods. The foreign gods that his beloved wife, Rachel, has kept with her, little idols and trinkets, things that other people were trusting in to gain blessings in their life, things that they were trusting in saying, this is what will make me happy. This is what's going to protect me. So he commands them to put away the foreign gods. He says, get rid of all of your earrings. It's not because God's opposed to things that are pretty and cute, but rather he is opposed to things that are pretty and cute that represent that you're worshiping another god. And that's what earrings were is that people wore them as protective charms, as protective emblems to invoke the powers of another spirit to protect you and to protect your family and to bring about certain provisions and fertility that you wanted in your life. And so he says to them, put away the foreign gods, put away your earrings. 
Why is he doing so? Because Jacob, finally, at this point, is acknowledging and making the declaration that there is only one true God. And there is only one true God, and this one true God demands complete and total worship. It's a big statement for Jacob. Because up until this point, he has been saying to his family, you know what, it doesn't matter what you believe. You can believe your thing over here. You can believe yours over there. You can have your religious practices. I can have my religious practices. I'm just going to do my own thing. My own faith is between me and God. And Jacob says, no. That's foolish. If there is one true God, then my family needs to worship the one true God. Period. And if there is one true God, then we need to come together and make him the one true God in my, in, in my life and in our life. And Jacob comes before his family and says, today is the day. Today is the day to live for the Lord. Today is the day to put off false idols, to stop living for other things. Today is the day to come before him. And Jacob commands his family, and Jacob commands his family and has his whole household come out to worship God. It's a remarkable transformation for Jacob because the command wasn't given to Jacob's family. The command was given to Jacob individually. Jacob, you go to Bethel and you worship. And Jacob says, my family will go to Bethel and we will worship. And my family will not be worshiping false gods. My family is going to worship the one true God. And that's what he does. He takes them up there to do that. The same, it's the same principle here for us today. What's the calling for, anyone, for, for our, us individually? For those who are family members, for parents, for fathers, as leaders in your families, in your households, is to put aside false gods to lead your family, that today is the day to live for him. Today is the day to lead your family. Today is the day to move your whole family into worship. Today is the day to put off all the other gods that are present in your life, the other things that you want that demand attention for Sunday mornings. To put off all the other gods where you say, you know what, I'm going to believe what I'm going to believe, you're going to believe what you're going to believe. And what you're communicating to your family is, it doesn't matter what you believe. And the God, if he's there, he doesn't really care what you believe either. But that couldn't be further from the truth. Because scripture is making clear, and finally Jacob is aligning himself, that there is one true God, and the one true God demands our total and complete worship. And the most important moment in your life, the most important moment in your life, is right now. Because you can't control the past. And you have no idea what's coming in the future. And the one moment that you can somewhat control is what you do in this moment. And in each present moment. And so what matters then is for you and for your family to accept God's story for you in the present is to accept God as God in our lives. Right now in this moment and to live for him in this moment. But Jacob gets the present application, and he, he takes it even further. He says, put away the foreign gods, put away the nose rings and the earrings that are there. And then he says to this, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change, change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make an altar there. Purify yourselves, then let us go worship. What he's telling his family to do is to go through a, a ritual cleansing where they were to consecrate themselves. That means they were to set themselves apart for God. It wasn't simply a, yes, it was a ritual, but the point of the ritual was that it was to be an outward sign of an inward reality. An outward sign that they are putting off false worship. 
that they are putting off false gods, that they are putting off living for themselves and instead are worshiping and living for the one true God. For them, they did it through the ceremonial ritual. For us, this purification and this cleansing comes through Jesus Christ and through accepting Jesus Christ. For the story of our lives is a story of impurity. Just look at your thoughts this morning. The story of our words is a story of impurity. Look over the course of our lives. It's a story of impurity, of doing things and saying things and thinking things that we ought not do or say or think and not doing the things that we should. And that's a daily basis. It's a moment, it's an hourly basis. It's a minute on a minute by minute basis. That's our own individual story, a story of impurity, not that much like undifferent from Jacob, not that much different from those in his household, even though we don't carry around the trinkets. At least I don't think we do. But God's story comes through Jesus Christ. And it is through Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave, that as we turn and believe in him, that God purifies us. That though our sins are like filthy garments, God washes us through the blood of Christ, through the sacrifice that he makes on our behalf, and he makes us as clean and as white as snow. There are some of us, maybe some of us here, who have never done that. That you've never trusted in Christ to purify you. You've, you felt that if you did enough good, you could weigh, outweigh the bad things in your life. But kind of like an indelible stain on a garment, blood on a wedding dress, you can't get it out on your own. But Jesus Christ is the one who washes us clean. And as Christians, this is not just something that happens one time some years ago when you first put your faith in Christ, but it's something that happens on a daily basis, should happen on a daily basis, at the least on a weekly basis as we gather together to worship, is to come before the Lord and to say, God, woe is me, I am an impure person, and I dwell among impure people. Would you cleanse me? Would you purify me? Would you wash me clean again through the blood of Jesus Christ? And that's exactly what he does is he, we accept his purity for our lives. And having received that, we are then to live consistent with the purity that he has purchased for us. The third way to accept God's story for us in the present is to accept God as God in our lives, accept God's purity for our lives, and thirdly is to accept God's blessing in our lives and to show it. It has now been 30 years since Jacob was at this place where God made this promise to him and where Jacob made a vow. And God said to Jacob in his promise, I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will multiply your offspring. I will give you the land and every family on the earth is going to be blessed through you and through your offspring. And Jacob at the time said, God, I don't know if I can really believe you. I'll tell you what, if you give me something to eat and a place to sleep and a change of clothes, then you'll be my God. God says, whatever, dude. Um, I'm going to be faithful to my promises because of me, not because of you. But Jacob made a vow. And he says, God, if you are with me wherever I go, when I come, I will come back to this place and I will give you a tenth of all that you have given me. And commentators are united in their understanding of what's happening here, is that when God says to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau, that God is calling to mind the vow that Jacob made. The vow that Jacob made to tithe his income, which means a tenth, to give a tenth of all that he owned, to give it to him. And why is he forcing him to do this? Is that by commanding Jacob to give back to God, 
he is forcing Jacob to accept in the present moment that his story is bound in God's story. That everything that God has provided for him has come for him, not because Jacob provided it for him, but because God provided it for him. That God is the one who is over our story. That God is the one who provides for our needs. That God is the one who is the source of blessing and is the source of blessing for everything that he has in our lives. And by forcing Jacob, by saying, Jacob, go build an altar to me. He is saying, listen, go fulfill your vow. Acknowledge that your story is bound in my story. And everything that you have and everything that I have provided for you is from me. Friends, I think the principle is the same for us is that the act of giving, tithing, giving a tenth is something that we do as an act of worship. We don't do it as a payment to the church. It's not like you go to the movies and you buy your movie ticket, you go to church and you pay your your church ticket. You don't give, you shouldn't give simply because you get a tax break, but you give because it's worship. Because it's a declaration in this present moment that God is the God of your life, that all that you have is bound from God and is from God, that God is the one who provides all that you need, not that you provide all that you need, but God is the one who is your source of blessing. And God is faithful to his promises. When I was in seminary, one year, our combined income was just over $11,000. Our rent was over $400 a month. We wrote a check for over $100 on a weekly basis and gave $1,100 in support of the church through that. And throughout that time, we didn't have any debt. We didn't acquire any debt. And God was faithful to provide all of our needs through that. And he really was. I mean, and abundantly so. But then what happens is then I got a job. I started to pay a little bit more, and all of a sudden, that number started to get bigger. You know, and then as that number, you know, as income grew and as... as you know, the uh, response to that grew and the tithe grew, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, wait a second, that's, that's more money. And it starts to go and saying, wait a second, that's the difference between going on vacation and not going on vacation. Hmm. That's the difference between saving to buy a new car or not getting a car. For some of you, that's the difference between going on vacation and going on a really awesome vacation. And it's also the difference between whether or not you are trusting in God to provide all that you need or you are trusting in you to provide all that you need. And it was by commanding Jacob to do this, to give back to God, that he is forcing him to accept that God is the one who gives him all the blessing and that his story is bound in God's story and that everything that I have is given to me by an act of God's grace. And he, will, he is my provider. And my worship in giving is a declaration of that. And quite literally, when it comes to this, talk is cheap to say that God is God of your life when it comes to tithing. Talk is cheap, quite literally, is it not? But here it is that God, in a very tangible way, is saying to Jacob, Jacob, do you see your story? Do you see your story, not only in the past, but do you see your story? Are you going to accept your story as as God, God of your life, not only in the things of the past that you want fixed, but is he God of your life right now in this present moment? And if he is, accept God as God of your life, accept God's purity for your life, accept God's blessing in your life, and declare by your actions that God is who he says he is that he is the provider, that he is the one that you trust in, and that you see that my story is wholly bound in this present moment in God's story. 
Let me declare that with joy and with exuberation. It's not only the past, but also the present, but also the future. That is a great motivation. Here, what we see is that God's story for Jacob is that he has been, is that God's story and the way that God's works is he is interwining and, tw- and interweaving all of our different individual stories, but they are working towards a definite end. They are moving towards a definite point. There is a destination. There is a goal that they are all going towards. You see, God's story is not like a miniseries on TV where the writers write out the first couple scenes of the story and they say, well, let's see how it goes. And then we'll write some more of the story. And they were like, oh, that actor really needs to get fired from the station. Okay, we're going to write the story to get that person out of the story. And that's the story that's here. That's not how it works. What God declares, he says, listen, I've written the whole story. All the days for you were formed before any one of them came to be. All the days I have laid out for you. And they're weaving all these things together. And so it is that God says to Jacob, Jacob, when you look to the future, when you see the things that are before you, you need to accept that your story from this point forward and past and in the present, but let's pay attention to right at this point forward. Your story is bound in God's story. This is what he says to Jacob. And he says, Jacob, I want you to see this. Verses 9, 9 through 12. 10. God said to Jacob, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you. I will give the land to your offspring after you. He is saying, Jacob, get your eyes off of your own little self. Jacob, see the big story that I'm working. Jacob, see the redemption that I am bringing to people of every tongue, tribe, and nation to the ends of the earth, of which your story is a part. Jacob, can you see this? Can you see what I am doing? Will you accept my story for your future and what you are to do and how are you to live? Now, was this new information for Jacob? No. Jacob, as a little boy, would have heard his grandfather Abraham tell stories how God had given him a promise on three separate occasions that he would bless him and make his name great and that through him all the offspring of the earth would be blessed. Jacob would have heard repeatedly his father Isaac Tell the stories of when God came to him and God blessed him and he gave him the promise that he would be fruitful and multiply, that a great nation would come through him, that all the offspring of the earth would be blessed. He heard it again and again. Jacob himself heard it when God said to him almost this exact identical promise the last time that Jacob was at Bethel some 30 years before. Jacob would have been reminded of it again when, he was, when God wrestled him and changed his name from Jacob to Israel, and changed his name, and God blessed him at that point. Jacob would have remembered it. And then here again, God says to him another time, why does it so many times that God tells Jacob this? Because he forgets. He's saying, Jacob, pay attention. I've told you this again and again. I already changed your name, but you forgot that I changed your name. So let me remind you, I've changed your name, and I will bless you. And your story is bound in my story. And I know you've got these struggles, and I know you've got these things to deal with and these challenges, but get your eye, look at the big picture. Look at where your story is going. Look at how your story is bound into my story. And don't forget it. You see, God wants Jacob to see his story in light of God's story and God's future that he's working. And God is saying to Jacob, Jacob, yes. I have blessed you in the past. Yes, I have turned your deception into more blessing. Yes, I have been with you wherever you have gone. But Jacob, there is more than that. 
There is a bigger story that is going on. Will you embrace that? Will you live for that? Jacob, press on. Jacob, follow me confidently. Jacob, live in integrity and purity. Jacob, overcome these things because there is a blessing so great that you cannot even begin to comprehend. Will you get your eyes up and see your story in my story? And he says it to you and to me. And it's this same promise from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob now through Jesus Christ, now applicable to you and me, this same promise, the same words the Scripture uses here, is there for you and me. It's a promise that gives us hope and it gives us courage. It gives us hope, especially in times in life when things aren't the way they should be. When you look at a situation and you're like, you know what, this, this is not the way that it's supposed to be, simply stated. Or you look at things in your family or a church or the community and you're like, it shouldn't be like this, it should be different. It should be different. People shouldn't act that way. They should act like this, but they, but they don't. You know, there are times and days and seasons of life where you, know, you kind of feel like Humpty Dumpty. Sat on the wall, had a great fall. All the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. And there's times in your life where you have a day, things happen, and you feel like Humpty Dumpty, that the pieces of your life are so broken and so so shattered, and you're saying, how on earth could this possibly work together to God's blessing? Like, how on earth can these pieces fit together? I don't understand. I don't comprehend. There's some of you that don't typically have a Humpty Dumpty day, but you got a Humpty Dumpty week or month, and some of you have Humpty Dumpty years and even a Humpty Dumpty decade where, like, things just get, like, scattered and worse and worse, and you're like, I don't even know where the pieces are to begin to get put back together. And it's not just our own individual lives, but you look around and there's more than that. Is that there's Humpty Dumpty-esque situations that we face. You look at the world, the Middle East, take all these different pieces, and there's just this mess and brokenness all over the realm. And you're looking around like, how on earth can these pieces get put back together again? But the story of God is that there is hope for the Humpty Dumpties. There is the hope for Humpty Dumpties like me like situations in our lives. There is hope for the humpty-dumptiness in our world and the brokenness in our marriages and in our families and society. And there is hope through Jesus Christ wherever brokenness or humpty-dumptiness may be found. And that hope comes through the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ, that God's promise is that he will restore and reconcile all things to himself, whether on heaven or on earth, that he is, he is the one who not only puts the pieces back together, but he redeems them and glorifies them into something greater than they would be on their own. And that is the story that God is doing and the story in which your story is to find its place and to find its meaning. But I do need to give you the bigger picture and to give you the full story. Because that's what's happening with Jesus through Jesus Christ. But outside of Jesus Christ, there is no hope. There is no hope for the pieces to be put back together. In fact, it just gets worse. But the hope of Scripture is that if you accept Jesus Christ, and you accept his story, and you come to him with your brokenness and your sin, that he is the one who begins to bring healing into your life. And the very same power that brought Jesus back from the dead to life is the same power that God is using to begin to find and to put the pieces of your life back together. And it comes through relationship with Jesus Christ. But it's not only that it gives us hope, but it also gives us courage. It gives us 
courage for the future. Because humanly speaking, the future is uncertain. None of us know what's going to happen. None of us know what's going to come our way. But what is certain is that God has a plan, and he has a purpose, and he has a story in which your life fits. And this gives us courage to live our lives for what should be. Courage to do right when it's easier to do wrong. Courage to live lives of purity when friends or heartthrobs would say otherwise. Courage to call evil, evil, injustice, injustice, oppression, and oppression. It gives us courage to bring God's story and God's blessing to every nation on the ends of the earth and to send people out to do that. And he gives us courage to do something even more courageous than that which is to share God's story with people that you know. And to share God's story in this place, where it's a lot harder than it is for you to pack up and to go around the globe, I surmise. But our story is being found in God's story. And God has worked to bring his promises to fulfillment in in Jesus Christ. And the promises of God are realized and experienced only through him. And it is because it is through Jesus Christ that God fulfills this promise. And it is through Jesus Christ that God declares, I will be with you. I will be with you always to the end of the age. It is through Jesus Christ that God declares, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus Christ that you become an heir of God's promises and his blessings. It is through Jesus Christ that he is reconciling your story and the story of your life into the grand story of his redemption. You know, maybe you want to be a little bit like that reporter. And maybe you want to ask God about his failure to follow the plan for your life. But we don't have the plan. But God does. And he has given us Jesus Christ, in whom his promises are fulfilled. And so it's a call for us to accept Jesus and to live your story in his story. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you and thank you that you are big and powerful. Father, I thank you that you are a God that is big enough to mess up our plans. That you are a God that is big enough that we, to get, even to get mad at. That you are a God that is big enough that can take up the messed up things of my life and our lives in this world and work them together into something more glorious than we can imagine. And Lord, we've seen that in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the greatest injustice ever committed, turning into the greatest act of redemption. And Lord, we long for the day when your redemption will be complete. Lord, we long for the day when your glory will be revealed and we will be glorified in you and you will be glorified in us and there will be no more mourning or crying or pain because the old order of things has passed away. Lord, we long for that day. But Father, until that day comes, may we accept your story. May we find our story in you and may we live in this most important moment For you, because of your grace, it's the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Reconciler, and the one in whom our story is found. His name we pray. Amen.